Hello, my spooky friends. This is John, your host for Dairyland Frights. And I just wanted to ask you uh, if you could please help support my podcast here. I am now on Patreon. And if you could give a dollar, three dollars, everything helps so I can buy better equipment, uh, be able to afford, you know, maybe some studio time or, or get some additional people to help out with research. And I know you really don't have to do anything, but I, I truly appreciate it, especially, uh, you know, running this podcast over myself can be a challenge them days, but I do love it. And I do appreciate all your support. And again, I say thank you, my spooky friends. I truly appreciate it. Hello, spooky friends. I'm John, your host, and welcome to another episode of Dairyland Frights, the paranormal podcast that covers everything spooky, creepy, and mysterious in the Midwest. And the great guests continue. I am so blessed to have on my podcast today, Dr. Randy Overbeck. Welcome, Dr. Overbeck. I am delighted to be here. Glad to be uh, sharing a few stories with your uh, with your listeners. Yes. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate, like I said, a man of your stature to be on my little podcast. So, so here we go. Let's learn a little bit about Randy <laughs> or Dr. Overbeck. Uh, since retiring from education, Dr. Overbeck has used his four decades of experience as a teacher and a school leader to create captivating tales of suspense, heroism, and mystery, all set in the arena of schools. His books have earned national awards, including the Gold Award from Literary Titan Best Book Award from, oh, Chance, oh boy, help me with this, yeah. <laughs> Chance DeLear Books and Review, is that correct? Yeah, Chant LeClear, yeah. Chant LeClear, okay. Yeah. Thriller of the Year from ReadersFavorite.com and Mystery of the Year from ReadersViews.com. His recent, most recent series the Haunted Shores Mysteries have become Amazon and Barnes & Noble's bestsellers. The Fall of the Wild Rose Press will release his newest work, an atmospheric amateur sleuth mystery, Cruel Lessons, the first installment in his new series, Lessons in Peril. He also, I don't know how you have time for this, Randy, he also is the host of his own podcast, Great Stories, about great storytellers, which reveals the unusual backstories of famous authors, directors, and poets. When he is not podcasting or writing his next blockbuster, you can find him speaking to audiences across the country, sharing his multimedia presentations, things that will still go bump in the night, a few favorite haunts, and everything you wanted to know about publishing. So you can connect with Randy via his email, which I will put on my uh, episode notes here in the podcast as well, share with it. But you can read them at Randy Overbeck, at author Randy Overbeck. And then he is also on Twitter at Overbeck Randy, Instagram at o Randy Overbeck, or Facebook at author Randy Overbeck. And again, I will put this all out on my notes in the episode once we release it. But I want to do some fun facts here, Randy. <laughs> this is this is crazy because I only have two kids. Randy comes from a family, a considerably large family. He is one of seven sons. And believe it or not, he's the middle son, which, okay. <laughs> His nieces and nephews could staff several football or soccer teams. And the numbers of his grandnieces and grandnephews are growing. So. The Overbeck family spread over several states, but family members have managed to stay in close contact. Uh, his six brothers, his oldest brother, Bob, uh, deceased, take a trip together every six months to hang out and connect. Family, obviously, is quite important to you, Dr. Overbeck, Randy. So, wow, that's huge. <laughs> Anything you want to mention about the family? I mean, that's unbelievable. You know, for us, it doesn't seem unusual, but I have learned in sharing our experiences that it is very unusual that not a lot of people 
whether they come from a very large family or from a not so large family, um, have made the efforts our family has done to uh, to stay close. Uh, we we I mean this effort goes back probably forty years from uh, when we were when I had a young family and um, my my mom was still alive and stuff. Uh, we would every other year make an effort to vacation together. We often would have 50 to 60 people at a resort location, first state parks and eventually like uh, Dollywood and uh, on the, and Myrtle Beach, those kind of places. And we did that for 26 years. Um, so yes, family has always been important. And, uh, and especially since in this world, I think this is true of every almost everybody's family, Families always scattered across everywhere. Right? Yeah, mm -hmm. even my own immediate family. I only have three children, but only one is close by. Uh, I live in Ohio. There's one that lives close to me. Another son and family are in the, outside of Atlanta. Another son and family are outside of Orlando. So um, wow. it makes it hard harder to to stay connected. But we work really pretty hard at it. Yeah, you're my hero. All I have is two kids, two cats, a dog, and a wife, and I struggle every day. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's uh, it, you know, it's part of our DNA. So once that becomes really important, you know, and I'm very fortunate. Um, I, the, my brothers and I are very different. We have different political philosophies. Mm. I'm the only teacher in the group. The others are all businessmen of different kind. Yeah. Um, but we seem to find a way to kind of hang out and have a good time together. And most important of all, we're there when we need us. You know, when some one of the group is in trouble or needs some help or needs some needs somebody to respond to, we're there. And that's and you you are correct. That is very important to me and to the rest of my family. Yeah. And and so I don't know how you get any sleep at night, Randy. You're a multi-award winning author. Uh, you host the podcast, obviously about the family I just mentioned. And on top of it, you're always looking to help people with literacy, which I think is huge. I didn't even get into that because I got tired <laughs> just reading all your accolades. Uh, is that something, uh, do you want to bring out on my podcast too? Anything else? Uh, well, about, I mean, yeah, I, go ahead. You know, everybody's just, everybody has to start somewhere. So I'm, I am always, um, I'm always working to mentor other writers and help other writers um, get a leg up. Uh, very often, you know, writers will ask me, well, how do I get started? What do I do? Mm -hmm. You know, so and my, my perspective is, um, uh, you know, somebody helped me when I was there and I'm more than, ha more than happy to provide help. I belong to a writer's group uh, and I help other writers in the group and they help me. It's a, it's a reciprocal arrangement. It's not, yeah, it's not one way thing, and and of course, and I uh, and I'm I'm a very firm believer in writer writing conferences and stuff. So yeah, I'm happy to you know if you got if you have questions you think some prospective writers might be interested in, I'm happy to share whatever I can and what I've learned. There's a lot I don't know. I will say that right up front. Right. And yeah. I've had successes and I've also had failures. So you know, I kind kind of been there, done that. Right, right, and that's the way you learn. Right, that's. It's the only way you learn by by making mistakes or or have been challenged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, let's get right into the questions because I'm sure my audience, uh, you know, obviously this is a paranormal podcast, but you know there are authors out there, people who want to get into writing, especially maybe paranormal stories or uh, maybe you know haunted stories or tell their life stories. Because I have a lot of guests on who have had some crazy paranormal experiences have lived in haunted houses have faced very challenges of growing up uh dealing with that and so who knows maybe somebody wants to write here so i guess my first question is uh randy did you always have the desire to be an author yes i i, I from when i was very young um I, I've always been a writer, not an author, but always been a writer. And I'll, I'll be honest, when I was in high school, I even, you know, I even had dreams of writing the great American novel. But <laughs> I'm not, I'm not ashamed to say that uh, the calling to serve kids came, and I answered that calling. I'm not at all 
I'm not at all sad I did that. And, and, and it was a really great way to dedicate 40 years of my life to do that. Um, but that doesn't mean during all that time that I left, you know, I left behind the desire to write. Fortunately, in most of the positions that I served, uh, writing was a big uh, portion of that job. Uh, I, I, of those 40 years, 28 of those years, I ran school districts. So I was superintendent or assistant superintendent of four different districts. Yeah. And in that job, uh, a huge portion is writing. I I would, I would guess that maybe 30% of my time was spent writing. Um, the writing was, is really varied. It's not what your listeners are thinking about when they're, you know, talking about writing a book. You know, it's uh, agendas and memos and recommendations and news articles. And I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. But it did it did help me continually sharpen my writing skills. It helped me learn uh, how do I adapt my language for the audience? Because, you know, I'm writing for an audience of voters, for example, for a school essay or parents for a newsletter or or staff members for memos and stuff. So. It helped in that sense. It, it, I, you know, it's certainly I'm not telling stories like you yeah. do when you're writing fiction, but it helped that. And when I finally, towards the end of my career, started to get some time to be able to do some actual writing, I simply used some of those same skills to uh, put put on paper stories that I had kind of bouncing around in my head. And that's, that's yeah. the best. So, yeah. So tell me about. What interests you in writing a story? Like, you know, there's obviously you have a lot of ideas, but what, where do you say like, you know what, I, I'm going to start and I'm going to write this story and see where it goes. What, you know, how do you go about doing that? Well, I recognize that trying to write a, a significant story, a novel can appear very daunting. You know, it just goes, Oh my God, how could I ever do that? Right. But um, the nature of the job that I left was that I often had to tackle rather large tasks. Um, I'm also a doctorate, so I had to write a dissertation, which people don't know is 100 100 pages of research. So, I mean, there's I had a lot of experience in uh, segmenting a task into, okay, let's do this first and that. So uh, in terms of. How did I manage to get from what was in my head onto the paper? The, 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 the basic tools were already there. And most of my, uh, I would say that most of my, my approach is mostly in the middle between um, pantsers and, and plotters. I don't know if you're, if you're not familiar with that, but a plotter is a, a person who, in order to write the book, sits down and writes an outline, figures out, creates the characters, create some kind of uh, database to be able to kind of flesh out where am I going to go? Mm-hmm. And and a pantser just kind of sits down and goes, okay, go, start writing. <laughs> I have of that. Uh, I, about half of it is pantser that just springs out of my head, and the other half is, well, how do I get this organized and put all these pieces together? Um, yeah. And that works for me. It's a different approach for different people. I have, I have authors that I – greatly admire who are bestseller authors who are completely pantsers. They don't ever organize mm. anything. They just start writing and writing. Mm. And then I have other authors that I love that when I've talked with them, they'll tell me they don't ever write anything down that they haven't organized first. So mm. it works both ways. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember the first story you ever wrote and was kind of like, Hey, I think I can do this. I think I can well, do this I, for a living. I, I, this was clearly not the first story because I okay. wrote a lot as I was five and eight and 12. But the one that I remember writing that I thought, well, this could be a, a short story that other people would like was actually yeah. in high school. Oh, okay. And I remember some of the things that clicked in my head when I was writing it. It was about somebody being, uh, being thrown in a jail cell and, or something they didn't do and stuff. I don't remember a whole lot of detail right, beyond sure. that. But yeah, but that was when that hit. I'm going. I think I could do this. I, I think this is something that I might have the skill set to be able to pull off. Wow. See, I think and that's, that's great. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's great because it's just, again, everybody starts somewhere, right? Even Stephen King right. started somewhere. Yep. <laughs> yeah, well, awesome. on, it, it, I think it, a lot of it has to depend on what you are trying to get out. You know, So what I tell writers today is if you think you want to write because you're going to make a million dollars or you're going to sell 10,000 copies, then don't do it. I said, mm -hmm. I, I don't know anybody who's ever in the business that started with that goal in mind. I said, you have to write because you love to write or because you want to share stories with people or love you, of writing. You have stories inside you that just have to get out. Yeah. Um, yeah. The rest of the stuff may come, may not come. That can't be your goal. Your goal has to be, well, how in the world do I make this? How, how do I get this on paper? How do I do that? If yeah. that's your goal, then you then you will, will eventually be happy. Yeah. Regardless of your level of success. Absolutely. Yeah, that's wise words for uh, you know potential authors out there and everything. So let's get into a little bit about paranormal and everything like that. I know okay. you typically are not writing paranormal stories in a sense. I mean, you run some haunted mysteries and stuff like that. But the first question I always like to hit and I've asked this to previous authors, would you call yourself a believer or a skeptic when it comes to the paranormal? Well, I, it, it, again, I think it depends on how broadly you're going to use that term. So clearly within the limits that I am encountering. So uh, I talk, I, when I give a presentation, things still go up in the night. Uh, the presentation is a not tongue-in-cheek presentation about the role that ghosts have in our culture. Mm. I, I start off the presentation by saying this is not about a Halloween prank or what kids titter about. I said this is something that's a very integral part, whether you recognize it or not, of, of our culture. And I kind of spring from there. So having said that, my answer would be if we are in that realm, then I am solely then I then I started as a skeptic but I am solely in the area of believer. Mm. That's, that is something, you know, again, we all share in, especially with me and my other guests. Yeah. And with my, with my other guests, you know, we, we kind of talk about that too. Like your believer skeptic and kind of a little bit of, but a ball, you know? Right. I, I will, um, I tell this, this story, this is a, True story of how I actually. So uh, let me let me kind of explain how I went from. So my first book, yeah. which you which which you mentioned in the in the uh, in the intro, uh, "Leave No Child Behind," is a thriller about uh, terrorist takeover of a high school in Ohio, and it's a very different kind of book than what uh, and than my trilogy, the ones the three. Uh, the three books that, that we're talking about here, the Haunted Shore Mysteries. And, and I will be very honest with your listeners. I did not begin the intent to those, write those books as a paranormal mystery. Okay. Uh, I, I, I had, I was working on kind of an idea for what I thought I might want to do as a mystery. And I was actually at a writing conference. The conference is called, um, uh, uh, Midwest Writers Workshop. It's located in Indiana. Anyway, um, and I was supposed to go to a session, and John, as often happens in these writing conferences, somebody didn't show up. <laughs> well, I'm sitting there going, okay, what comp what session am I going to go? Because I paid, you know, I paid a couple hundred bucks to go to the session. I'm trying to get as much out of it as I can. Well, for for thankfully, there was a session on there. Uh, by a presentation by a ghost hunting group, a paranormal investigating group. It's actually the group is called Central Indiana Paranormal Investigators. And they did a presentation about a haunting, uh, about a space that they had, they were investigating that was supposed to be haunted. And um, I, I, I don't I mean, this is now uh, probably eight years ago, probably. So I, I'm not sure that I'm giving all the details accurately, but one of the things I remember is that they played a video. So that, and here's the short version. They were called to investigate this space, this room in this building that was supposed to be haunted. Small room, uh, well, 
small meeting room, probably 20 by 40, maybe something like that. And, um, and they did what they, what investigators normally do. They brought all these, all this equipment and stuff. Um, and they're showing us, they went through the process, told us the process they went through, told us who was involved, told us the time frame, all that kind of stuff. Then they played an audio file that was, that they that they said that they had recorded. And it was the audio, and it was a, a recording of an anguished uh, female voice crying for help and stuff. And I'm going, well, okay, you could fake that. And I, yeah, right, right. <laughs> well, then they showed somebody that something that just absolutely blew me away. So I, I'm sure you've talked about this on this podcast, but uh, they use one of the things that I've learned that all most reputable investigators now use is a they bring in a thermometer. The one that they use is a is a uh, just an old fashioned circular thermometer, you know, with the needle that goes around like that. Right. Yeah. And so that there is no human error. So nobody is sitting there recording it. And that may be correct or not correct. They actually take a separate video camera and they run the video camera for all three hours of the investigation. Just mm, wow. yeah, yeah. On this on this thermometer. Well, and then and then they showed us this. We're going to show you this. So I, I don't remember the details, but I the, the room was like it was vacant. You know, the room was like 60 degrees, something like that. 60 mm -hmm. degrees. Yeah. Now keep watching. In 10 seconds, the temperature in the room dropped 20 degrees. Mm. You saw this needle just wow. go, and it, yeah, stayed right. down. it stayed down for about two minutes, two and a half minutes, maybe went back up. Uh -huh. Then they fast forwarded. This actually occurred three different times. They explained that they believe that that is the presence of the ghost entering and leaving the, st the space that they were investigating. This really got me thinking. So from there, I started doing a lot of research. I found out. That phenomenon is, in fact, the most common evidence of uh, ghostly presence that's been documented thousands of times all over the world. None of which, for there is there a scientific explanation as to how a temperature in a room could go from sixty-two to forty-two and mm -hmm. ten seconds and stay there and then come back up. So th that kind that's that put me down on the road to going, <laughs> wow. So what if I had this mystery that I was going to write about school, the first one called Blood on the Chesapeake, and I made it a paranormal mystery. So that's yeah. kind of, that's that that's my story of how I got started. Wow, that's that's really interesting uh, because again, that's something that you know a lot of my paranormal investigators who I bring on the podcast. That's what they'll see too, and they'll see you know quite a temperature drop and. And, you know, obviously they have some other equipment that they're using, but that, that's a great story. I love that. That's a great introduction into the paranormal. But let me ask you this, uh, Randy, have you ever had a personal story which kind of made you too think like, huh, something's going on here with uh, uh, the paranormal? I, I have to I have to be honest with you and say that at least prior to my starting the um research and investigations, I really had not. Um, there wasn't something that, like some of the your uh, guests have shared before. I, I've never lived in a haunted house. In fact, my wife has never lived in a, in a building that was ever occupied before we, we, we had it new. So we've been in seven different spaces, apartments and houses. All of them have been brand new. So not exactly a, a place for a, a ghost yeah. to live when to begin with. So, um, yeah. Yeah, well, you uh, never know. <laughs> I know. Uh, but as, uh, I, since I've been doing this, I've done some ghost tours and stuff, and I, I had a very memorable experience on one of the, one ghost tour in um, in Nashville where I was. Oh, right. I don't know. Yeah, if we'd love to hear that. We'd love to hear that one. I don't know if it's fortunate or not, but it was the only time that I was able to observe an orb. So I'm sure you talked about this several times yeah. on your show, you know, but for everybody else, it's an orb is a, what appears to be at least to the human eye, a three-dimensional ball of light that moves within a confined space with no explanation as to why it is moving. And I, I, I saw one of those 
in one of the haunted houses, haunted spaces. It wasn't a house. It was a okay business. I don't know if it was a business or a department. I don't remember now. Yeah. Um, on on the on the haunted natural tour. So that's yeah, that's not so much compared to what others have 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 shared with you. I'm sure, but that's well, my story. And I'm sticking to it. <laughs> well, that's really interesting too because um, in the south. Uh, I've been on a number of ghost tours and everything like that too. And one of the things is I always tell people like I've been in Savannah, Georgia, which I highly recommend if, if you're just looking to get somewhere where it's everything is literally haunted in Savannah. It's the most haunted city in America. I, uh, you know, I've it said this several right. times, but it bore, I know I want you to bore my audience, but <laughs> cause they've heard it several times. Like, Literally, you go in there and it's like, yep, that's buildings haunted. That's haunting. My apartment's haunted. My <laughs> the sonic driving is haunted. It, it's just crazy how how many different places and how they view it here. Uh, but also, the Midwest is haunted. Several several locations are haunted here. So, yeah. yeah so, well, go ahead. I was at Savannah uh, and actually did the Savannah Ghost Tour. Yeah, but I will tell you that. Savannah and Cape May argue as to which one is the most haunted seaport on the Eastern shore. <laughs> right. right. A, a fun war going on between the two of them. So. Yeah. Right. Um, so tell me through when you do research on books, Randy, um, tell me about some things you've gone through and maybe found out some really interesting facts or some haunted history. Why don't you share that with our audience? Well, yeah, one of the things that I, that I try to do very, um, very meticulously in my books is make sure that they are as authentic as possible to both the time, the place, uh, the, the events, the, poss the possibilities. One of the things that I don't like that I uh, lampoon about yeah. ghost stories, uh, other uh, other people, well, let me rephrase that. Most other people's ghost stories are either one of two things. Um, they are either what I call the Stephen King variety, okay, okay. the terrifying, keep you up all night ghost stories, mm -hmm. or they are what I call Casper the Friendly Ghost stories. You know, the, the <laughs> right. in a cozy, my, my grandmother had the yarn shop and she died and she comes back and helps me solve mystery, you know. Right. What what I learned, John, is that both of those are um, could not be much further from the actual reality that I've been able to research. So what I found is that the incidents of malevolent ghosts are so small as to be um, ridiculous. So, but right. one of the things that's very different about my books, nobody is going to be terrified all night. Uh, staying up reading my books. Well, with the exception of the one about the terrorist cell taken over school, that's pretty scary. But yeah. but the paranormal mystery books are they've been described as eerie, but they're not terrifying because what I do is every everything that I have the ghosts do fictionally in my fictional story has all been documented that they that we have evidence of ghost interaction with human beings doing this. So they don't solve the mystery. They don't tell them who the bad guy is. None of those things happen. They only do the things that ghosts have been documented having done. That's one of the differences with my book. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, and it's, again, because I'm trying to keep it as accurate and as close to reality as possible. Yeah. Yeah. That's great because, you know, again, I had one of my guests on, and she is a practicing witch. Okay, she's a good witch. So don't worry about it, Randy. She's not going to curse you. Uh, okay. Anyway, she was on there and she was like, "Look, I don't." She does spa um, believe uh, and practice with some demons. Uh, Lilith is being one of them, but she's using that for her power and not for bad power, but to like to help people and to understand and be empowered as a woman. And it was so interesting because. She's not like in her basement covered in blood and scaring people. You see what I'm saying? She's right, yeah. she's there to help people. She's there to learn. She's there to share it. She's there to, you know, 
do everything to make sure people stop getting the Hollywood movie out of their head or books of people. You know what I mean? Like you're talking about, leave you up all night, you know, with the lights on. Here's this is something that might be interesting to your to your listeners, John. Uh, And part of one of the things, one aspects of my research is I researched religions. So I don't know if you're aware of this, but if you are a member of any faith community anywhere in the world, then part of that dogma of that faith community is a belief in ghosts. So it doesn't make any difference if you're raised Buddhist, if you're raised Jewish or Muslim or Christian. Every religion has at, at, at its roots some belief in ghosts. Now, the beliefs the beliefs in ghosts are not the same from religion to religion, but every religion has a belief in uh, ghosts. And one of the things that I found that was most interesting is that in the Buddhist religion and in the in the in the Eastern countries, um, they have a they have a, a a belief and a response to ghosts that are almost the opposite of what what we do in the Western country. So, uh, I as you mentioned, I have two presentations about ghosts that I have shared with oh, over a hundred audiences all over the country. The one is called "Things Still Go Bump in the Night," and the other one is "A Few Favorite Haunts." In fact, I'm sharing both of those one tomorrow with one group and one Tuesday with another group. And about right. um, about every fourth time that I share those, when I'm done, somebody in the audience will come up to me and go, can I tell you about this experience I had with this ghost? Uh, I'm, sure, go ahead. You know, so, so they'll, and they'll proceed to tell me about their mother's in-law's haunted house that they inherited or staying in a hotel where they were in. But my point, John, is that almost always their response to to having to encounter a ghost is one of fear. Um, it's a Western response. If you mention ghosts, somebody that are the most typical response will be retreat and fear. For yeah. Buddhists, they have exactly the opposite response. So they believe that ghosts are what it's the, I, I've never been able to get a translation that's very good, but they call them suffering spirits. And they believe that, that they should be pitied and we should have compassion for ghosts instead of running away and being scared by them. I think that's a very interesting contrast. And now I blame Stephen King for a lot of that. And <laughs> so do I. There were plenty of scary ghost stories before Stephen King came along, but he kind oh, of made it made it Hollywood version. But I, I thought, I, you know, that's an interesting aspect I've learned from our research that most people don't know. So it, it kind of, and I can't imagine that uh, in in uh, China or India where where they practice Buddhism, I can't imagine that ghosts are much different than what they are here, but they have a very different reaction to them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so that leads me to my next point. Have you ever had a skeptic come up and say, oh, ghosts aren't real, Randy. What is this? You, you know, come on. That Your presentation was a bunch of, Oh, BS. every time. No, not every time, but often. Yes, often. In fact, I here. I, here's how I counter that, John. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, about halfway into the presentation, uh, I have a I have a set of slides that I'll go. You know, every time I do this presentation, I have somebody giving me this. Now you can't see me, but I I give them the crossed arms and the the uh, doubting face. You know. And and, uh, and and that, that, of course, draws a bunch of laughs. And I go, for them and for everybody else, I'm going to share with you the scores of famous, intelligent, educated, sophisticated people, all who believe in ghosts. And I just blow them away with uh, examples of scientists and um, politicians and musicians and uh athletes all that they all know and they all recognize, but they, they didn't know they believed in ghosts. They were really, you know, everything from Abraham Lincoln and Ronald Reagan to um, uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. And, you know, you name it. And that kind of 
quells a lot of the, you know, you're it's just a bunch of poppycock. I will still have some come up and do that. But after I give that little piece and show them the examples, you know, I'm going, well, these people, you know, my answer is, are all these people crazy? You know, is right. Abraham Lincoln, because he believed to go, and Ronald Reagan, is he crazy? And yeah. Winston Churchill, and, you know, so that kind of, that kind of uh, stifles it before it gets very far. But yes. yes, of course, you know, I've shared this with thousands of people, so I get every kind of reaction you can think of. Yeah. And, and that's really interesting to me, too, because we have a hotel here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which is the visiting baseball uh, for the Milwaukee Brewers is the visiting, you know, for the visitors. Uh, the, yeah. the baseball yeah. team comes up. And they uh, anyway, people every year will say, nope, I'm not staying. Big athletes, these guys are like the, the prime of yeah. their lives, and they're like, Nope, nope, not, not, not doing it, not staying. And uh, there's been numerous stories where the players who have stayed there have had their clothes moved, have had experiences, and they admit it. They're like, Oh, it's haunted, it's totally haunted. Yep. You're not going to convince me otherwise. And they'll ask to stay at another hotel, and some are brave and they'll stay there too. So, so you're right. There's a number of people who do believe in it. And the, and the people who don't believe, um, I think is a good thing, right, for us? Because yeah, sure. you want that open conversation. You want yeah. to be able to have that, you know, conversation where it's, oh, I believe in everything kind of. No, let's stand back here. Let's take a look at this. And more, well, uh, you know, and I tell them, you don't really have to believe in ghosts to enjoy my books anyway. I, it may change yeah. your mind when you get there because the ghosts are portrayed in such a realistic manner. I said, but if you don't, you'll still have fun reading them. That's okay. That's not, yeah, not a problem. Absolutely. Enter entertainment. So I always ask uh, all my investigators this and my authors and, and all my guests, really, if tomorrow someone would hand you a definitive picture of what they believe is a ghost and they have made this picture it uh, doesn't matter what's an iPhone, doesn't really matter where they got the picture, right? But they've gone to scientists, they've gone to, you know, whoever to check on this picture. And everyone has come back and said, this is real. This is definitive proof ghosts exist. What do you think would happen? How do you think people would handle that? Well, I, let, me, let me explain that by giving you a little piece of what I do in my presentation. So, one of the things, I actually go to that exact point in the presentation. Mm. I pose the question that people would have in their head saying, because I'm telling them, ghosts are, whether you want to admit it or not, they're very much a part of our culture. Yeah. They they are there, and they and I show them all these aspects from religion stuff, how they're not religion to TV to all that. And I say, People always say, well, if it's so evident, how come, if it's so prevalent, how come we don't have any real evidence of that? My answer is one word, Photoshop. I said, <laughs> you can today create anything that is, yeah. looks so authentic. And I said, and that's before AI. I, I started to think what AI can do. Oh. So I share with them about a half a dozen documented photographs that are all pre-digital. That I will tell, that I tell them, and I already checked this up before I bring them, that every one of the photos have been researched by photo experts to say they are a legitimate photo. They are not a double exposure. There's nothing been done to the photo. And, and, that, and each of the photos shows an actual real ghost. Uh, the photos are from 1930, no, 1890 something until about early 90s, early 1990s, um, which is which is the last, about where the end of the pre-digital stage becomes. After that, it starts becoming digital. I, I have a ghost in a graveyard. I have a ghost in a haunted mansion in England. I have a ghost uh, of a rich man who had died in, in England and somebody at a airfield. So, I mean, and I will tell you, I'm, I'm always, of course, watching as I'm sharing them. I'm, and it's an interesting, if you're looking at their responses, it's an interesting reaction that they're giving when they're going through the 
the, the photos. So yeah. are they convinced? Well, I don't think the person who doesn't want to believe that that's a possibility, I don't know there's anything that you could give them that would convince them. You know, it, right. it's kind of like you deal with the uh, political partisanship that's in now. If somebody's on one side way far over, there probably isn't anything that you're going to be able to show them that's going to make them move out of that corner. So it's kind of that same way. Um, that doesn't deter me at all. I, my goal isn't to, I'm not out there to convince anyone. I'm sharing information that they may or may not take. And I'm yeah. telling them why I think it's a good premise on which I can build a good story. That's kind of how, uh, what, you know, they don't have to believe what I believe. I, I, I give, you know, I give presentations to everybody that have different kinds of religious backgrounds. That, that's okay. It doesn't matter to me. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the things I think it would affect a lot of people, <laughs> religions, politics, and so on down the line, right? If you could say, here it is. Here's definitive proof. All the people out there who were showing us that there is ghosts out there, now we have it. And I, I don't know if it'd be a good thing or a bad thing, but I think it'd be interesting to see what would happen. It, it would, I think. But again, I, given the state that we are in, nobody's ever going to believe that because now, you know, who knows what AI could create? These will be, not, you know, no idea. But but I know I know people who are skilled enough in Photoshop they could create anything, you know. Absolutely. So, so my conversation is more about well, all of these people who you might respect, they didn't think that was incompatible to believe with ghosts and to hold these beliefs. You know, uh, you decide for yourself. But yeah, is Ronald Reagan crazy because he believed in ghosts? Really? Yeah. I, yeah. You know, I, yeah. Have you, have, can you remember, uh, Randy, a story that someone came to you that was a really good story, you know, dealing with ghosts? Can you recall any where people well, come one, after your session? Yeah. The, the one guy that came up to me that was very interesting, and I, I did not know about this beforehand, but he had come to me, and I, I wish I could tell you the name of the hotel, but I can't. But he was, he was in sales of some kind. I don't, you know, I didn't ask. I wasn't that much. When that wasn't important, but he did a lot of traveling as a result of the sales. And he ended up in a particular room in an, in a hotel in, in the Dakotas. I think it was South Dakota, but you know, I can't really be sure that one or the other. And he told me, he gave me the name of the town, the name of the hotel. He even knew the name of the room. Yeah. And he said that halfway through the night, he started feeling a presence. He actually saw a presence. Um, and he ended up, he was so rattled. I think feared would be probably correct. He was probably fearful. Okay. He was so rattled, he literally went down to the desk and demanded a different room in the hotel yeah. and got a different room. Yeah. And then later, afterwards, when he asked around the next morning, he found out that, yes, it was well known that Room, I'm, I'm making a room number up. I don't remember it. Sure. 305. Yeah. yeah. yeah right. There was a party there and it, was, it is haunted, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And, and then after he told me that, I went home and looked up the hotel and I, which he did as well. So, you know, he did his due diligence <laughs> and went, right, right. oh, what the heck is going on here? And then he found out that this hotel did have this reputation of being actually haunted. So it was an interesting way, you know, and he, and he just came up to me afterwards and said, I believe <laughs> I yeah. used to believe, but I believe now. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I mean, and that's, and it, you know, like you said, it's a great story too, even though he was scared, you go through the, it's still a great story to tell around, you know, the campfire or to your friends yep. and family. And uh, that's what it makes paranormal. So interesting. The mystery. Uh, behind it and see, see where it is. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So what would you say, just off the top of your head, when you're doing your presentation, when you start your presentation, what would you say the percentage of people who believe in ghosts versus when you're after you're done with your presentation, the percentage of people now who believe in ghosts? Do you, do you have a percentage on that one? No, I don't. I think I probably uh, 
move some, but but you know, I've done the research. So the research says, so there, I don't know if you know this or not, but they've actually done two studies um, of um, two studies of Americans asking that essential question. Do you believe in ghosts? Uh, one was done by Harris, you know, the people who do polling, and that was done in 2003, so the last 20 years. And, the, and the, another one was done by Huffington Post much later, 2017. And both results, both of the surveys had exactly the same or virtually the same results. One had 48% that believe in ghosts. The other one had 51%. So essentially, one in two Americans in both surveys said yeah. that they believe in ghosts. I shared this as part of the, that this is a pervasive part of our culture. It's not a fringe thing. And yeah. And then, you know, so I, I, that's kind of how I set up my presentation, talking about ghosts. Then I don't know if you're aware of this. So they've also done two other, two other groups have done two additional studies asking for people who have had encounters with ghosts. Do you know about that? No, I don't know about that. I'd love in, to hear it. In 2007, the AP, IPOS, IPOS, that's another uh, that's another uh, line of AP that does surveying. They did a study, and then in 2006, Baylor University uh, did a study. And in both cases, they had, again, almost exactly the same results, uh, about one in five. One was 23%, the other was 20%. So one in five Americans believe that they have had an actual encounter with a ghost. Hmm. I think that's an interesting way of starting the conversation. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. these people really think that they they had some kind of encounter with somebody from the spirit world. I don't think that should be discounted just because it's not in your experiential realm. Yeah, right. So yeah. the answer that you're asking me, am I able to move some of those people? I have had some people come up to me afterwards, but I can't quantitative. Quantitative, this is all, you know. Yeah. Uh, just uh, individuals, and they will say to me, um, you know, I wasn't really sure, but you make a pretty good case, or words kind of to that to that effect. Uh, most of my presentations are to groups that are headed off to lunch, so I don't have lots of after <laughs> sure. after after program conversations. But I've had more than more than a few of that of that nature. Them just saying, hey. I just want you to know you you make a pretty good case. It's pretty it's pretty interesting, and and they always say they really love the presentation that I give. So that if, even if they don't buy any books, they're always really it's sure. really interesting. Sure, and that that's great, right? So you you, right. you just have a little bit of interaction, a little bit of that's all you really really need, you know, for people yep. to you know they're listening at least, <laughs> right? They're not falling asleep in the back there. Uh, yep. So. Let me ask you this too. Have you ever been uh, doing research and all of a sudden feel like, I don't know, like like so, something strange happened, like whatever that might be, whether you visit no, a location or whatever? No, I I can't say that that's ever happened. Now, I, I have not been, I, all of my research is from someone else. I mean, okay. yes, one on ghost tours. Yes, I. But like, I'm not. A, I'm not a member of a ghost hunting organization. I've learned from those people, but I'm not. It's, I. I don't have personal experiences doing that. So my, the answer, to my question, the answer to your question, I, no, I've never been like writing and going. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Right. You're telling no, and 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 I'm very much aware that what I am doing is fiction. Sure, I wanted I wanted to be believable. I wanted to be credible, yeah, right? But not to be confused with the real thing. Now, I will tell you this: I often cheat in cheat in this sense. So, remember, I said that um, the location for my second book, which is Cape May, Crimson and Cape May, yeah. The, uh, people in Cape May they claim that they have the most haunted seaport on the eastern shore. Sure, and when right. I was late, they like to argue with you know in a friendly way, <laughs> right. I argue with that. Okay, so one of the things when I decided to set the my story in Cape May, um, one of the what I did in that story 
is mixed in with the fictional ghosts that I created are two or three of the actual documented ghosts in that town. So if you go to that town and you learn and, uh, and you go on ghost tours or you talk to the merchants and stuff, you'll learn about a couple of these ghosts. And I decided to take uh, the legends that surround those ghosts and use them as place as placemakers for um, the uh, the fictional ghost in my story. Yeah, yeah. That and speak. Yeah, speaking of that, you know, a lot of authors kind of put themselves in a character. You know, because it's like write what you know. Yeah, you have a character, Randy, that's kind of like you in one of your books. <laughs> Um, I, there are elements of me in a couple of the characters in the Haunted Shore mystery series. Uh, the characters are, it's, um, uh, uh, it's a, the, the hero is a social studies, uh, teacher. I would never been a social studies teacher. Uh, I was, I was English originally before I was administrator. Yeah. Uh, but there's elements of, of Daryl that has a few things that are like me in my newest book. Cruel Lessons, which was released this fall, which is not paranormal. It's an amateur sleuth mystery. Uh, the character in there, Ken, uh, the the uh, the hero in there, is an administrator a little bit like me, although, I mean, would have been many, many years ago, but he has some of my characteristics in there. But in most cases, when I'm creating a protagonist, I'm trying to create a protagonist that has some has some real issues in addition to being the hero. He's, you know, and those issues are not mine. So, for, for example, uh, Daryl has some serious OCD problems. Mm. Uh, OCD issues, I should say, some serious OCD issues, which in the story, in the arc of the story are actually caused, are actually a reaction to problem that he had as a child with a ghost appearance and stuff. So, and that's, and I don't have that. <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, but um, so the answer to your question is yes, some of them have some of uh, what I would call some of Randy Overbeck's personality. Maybe that's a better way to put it. Uh, yeah. But they're not me. Okay. <laughs> so when I order your books here, which I'm going to do and read it, go, I don't know, that's kind of a little bit like Randy. Uh, <laughs> Well, you'll probably hear, well, I will say this. I mean, they often say things that I espouse. You know, my books will talk. I mean, my books, first and foremost, are always fun reads. They're always whodunits, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that kind of hopefully a decent page turner. But at the same time, I'm talking about teachers as heroes. I'm talking about uh going the extra mile for kids that's what my heroes in the story do and yeah. that's what i talked about as a as an educator all my all my career so yeah. there are lots of those pieces of me that are in those stories yeah well so as we wrap up here i have to ask you uh, two quick questions one do you have a i i guess i'll say bucket list of a paranormal location you would like to go visit just to kind of see, you know, whether it be the white house, whether it be whatever, maybe you've already visited that, uh, that you're kind of on your bucket list. You're like, I've heard a lot of stories about this. I kind of want to take a look at it. That's a really interesting question. The, I, the short, the short version of the answer is no with this slight caveat. Okay. Generally when I am going to places, uh, I, I, like for example, uh, where we have on our bucket list, Places that we are trying to go yeah. to. So, right. um, we love the Eastern Shore, so we go to the Eastern Shore and over on the East Coast a lot. When we when I go there, I'm often I'm often looking for interesting haunted places that I can investigate when I'm there, as opposed to saying, "Well, I know of this particular hotel in this town that I want to go see." I just kind of, "Oh, we're headed there. Let's go to you know." When we go up to visit my grandson, who is going to be in St. Paul, I'll do my research and go, I wonder where I should go visit while we're there. Or maybe we should go on a ghost tour and find out what's interesting, what's, what places are interesting there. Um, that I, I kind of approach it that way rather than the other way around, rather than going to sure. a particular place because yeah. of its uh, paranormal reputation. Yeah. So 
last question, then we'll wrap it up here. What is the story you haven't told yet that you're dying? Well, I should say dying to tell, but really looking forward to tell. What What do you got on the horizon? Right well, now? I just I, I um I just finished a new manuscript and sent it into agents, but I won't talk about that because it's not the paranormal. Because my okay. next, the one I'm writing next is the paranormal. So. Okay. I, I, I had originally decided to do three in the, in the paranormal series, Haunted Tour Mysteries. And I wanted to see kind of what um, readers' response was, that whether I wanted to keep doing more episodes or not. Yeah. And, I'm, and, I, and the, the, I've been very pleased with the response. They've really been, as you mentioned, in a, a couple of them made even best-selling status. So they've done pretty well. Um, so I'm actually, next month, starting on the 4th, um, uh, fourth entry in the Haunted Tour Mystery Series. Um, what happened? So I don't. I won't. I won't spoil anything. But okay. The the uh, the the mystery. The the series hero is a is a name got gentleman a teacher by the name of Daryl Henshaw, as I mentioned. He has a love interest that uh, who is not who doesn't who, who does not see ghosts, but kind of believes Daryl anyway. Uh, and he, she's a nurse called uh, a beautiful nurse called Erin Cavaney. In the first book, they meet. In the second book, they fall in love. In the third book, they're actually on their honeymoon in Florida when he gets haunted by two children who have been murdered. Oh. Two young children, two toddlers that have been murdered. Okay. Wow. Not, not toddlers, five and six year olds. So yeah. Not, okay. Sure. So the fourth book is actually going to take place a few years later. It's going to take place on the east coast of Michigan hmm. uh, at a town called Sagatuck. I did my research on this already. Right. Uh, it will involve Daryl. Uh, it will involve um, Daryl and, and Aaron will now have a son who also sees ghosts, a five-year-old son. And uh, the murder is going to be is going to involve a um, a murdered uh, Native American woman. So oh. all of that is going to be uh, developed starting next month. Uh, maybe by this time next year we'll you know, we'll see something coming to fruition. Uh, Great. I, so that's what's next on the agenda. Love it. Love the uh, something to look forward to. So again. Randy, thank you so much. Uh, I could talk to you for hours. You're you're a fascinating man with great stories. Uh, and maybe I could have you on the podcast again later sometime when you said more stories we could share. I'd love to have you on. Well, listen, thanks so much for having me, John. I enjoyed being here. Um, and uh, I, I look forward to a revisit when that works out for both of us. This time. So... Where can they again? Where can they find you? Where so? Where's the best place to buy your books and uh, you know other things you might be looking for uh, as a nice little Christmas present for someone? Well, okay. Well, I think probably what I'd want to say is that if they're looking for a great uh, Christmas present that has a little romance, that has a um, mystery and a little woo and a little woohoo involved, <laughs> you might want to check out the third book in the series called Scarlet. At Crystal River, um, it's actually a Christmas mystery. It happens during Christmas of 1999 and 2000. Uh, so they'll both get a little bit of the paranormal, but they'll also get a fun mystery, uh, uh, and they'll do it all within the in the Christmas tradition. So they'll probably like that. The, what I recommend the easiest way to check out any of my books is simply go to my website. Um, I've got, uh, that's www.authorrandyoverbeck.com. Couldn't be simpler. And all of my books are, are listed there. And I've got uh, what's called a universal link, which means you just click on that link and wherever you like to buy your books, whether it's Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, wherever you want to get your books, Apple Books, there's a, there's a, uh, a button that you can push, that you can hit, and it'll take you directly to whatever choice that you want. Uh, the books are available on on, on uh, print, ebook, and audio book as well. The new that's not the new book. Cruel Lessons is not available on audio. Uh, that is coming in about three months, but the other books are. That sounds great, Randy. Again, 
get Randy's books. They're amazing. He's an amazing author. He's an amazing man with all the things he's helping with people with literacy. Also listen to his podcast to learn about authors and uh, all the great facts behind him, the great history. My favorite author, by the way, I forgot to tell you, is Edgar Allan Poe, uh, just because I just felt he was such a different person and written so many great stories. So that's... And, and by all means, check out my podcast on Edgar Allan Poe. You'll love it. I will listen to that. It is on my checklist over the over the holiday season. So we wrap up every podcast, Randy, by saying, say hi to your ghost. So hello, ghost, because you never know, right? <laughs> You're welcome to my house whenever you want, ghost. <laughs> and then we say stay spooky. Thanks again, Randy. We'll talk hopefully soon. See you, John. Thanks for having me. Yep. Thanks again. All right. Bye-bye.